Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And oh my goodness, what a basketball game we just witnessed. The Miami Heat storm into Denver and become the first team to win on the road there this entire postseason, keeping their playoff magic alive. Logan, what did you take away from this? Well, I want to start with the final uh, possession from Jamal Murray, Carson. I thought... The Nuggets should have pushed it in transition a little more. The second he got that rebound, I thought they could have gotten a really high-quality look. Instead, Jamal takes that fader from the top of the key, and they drop it. I thought MPJ was open briefly in the corner there on that final possession. It was impressive that Denver just got back to there after an abysmal fourth quarter, but I thought they could have gotten a higher-quality look on that final possession. Regardless, that was one hell of a game, Carson, an absolute classic in my opinion, and Something that I really wasn't expecting after that torrid second quarter from Denver. I thought we were maybe Mm -hmm. looking at an absolute rout, dude. I thought Denver might just take the momentum from that run into the second half and maybe run Miami out of the building. Uh, They didn't. You know, I mean, Miami won this game with a lot of similar keys that have won them these playoff series. One, it was uh, three-point shooting. You know, they shoot 13 of 39 in game one. They shoot 17 of 35. Max Struess has a great game. 0 of 9 in the first game. 4 of 10 from deep in this one. Uh, their shooters were on in this one. And then, you know, I mean, a lot of this has been late-game heroics for Miami. I don't want to dress up this playoff run like it hasn't been that. It has been capitalizing on teams' mistakes. And I thought they mm-hmm. did this in the entire fourth quarter. So many bad turnovers from Denver. Just You know, my old baseball coach used to do that, man. That's a brain fart. A lot of them from Denver in critical situations here. I thought, oh, I thought they should have pulled Jeff Green a little earlier. I didn't like Jeff Green getting that much fourth quarter burn, man. I thought he let them down a little bit there in the fourth. But a lot of bad mistakes from Denver late, and Miami really capitalized on them. Uh, They scored 39 points, Carson, on 16 fourth quarter possessions. 
That's an offensive rating of over 185. I mean, that is that's unthinkable, man. I mean, they were torching in the fourth quarter. I thought they operated a lot better in the half court. They had a 93 offensive rating in the first game in the half court. In this one, they have an offensive rating of 114. Uh, and I thought a big key to this game, too, I thought Miami's defensive effort was a lot better in this one. I thought them single covering Jokic while he gets his 40. You know, he dominates in single matchups. They did a great job of Xing out other guys and making sure they didn't eat. But I thought the biggest adjustment for Miami in this game was to start Kevin Love and to bring Caleb Martin off the bench. Uh, Just schematically, defensively, I think they match up with Denver so much better with Kevin Love out there. With him, you're allowing another big body that can switch on to Jokic, but more importantly, you can stick Love on Aaron Gordon and allow Jimmy to take off that matchup where I don't think he's really advantageous and stick him on somewhere where they need defense, and that's on Jamal Murray where I thought he was an absolute stalwart on Jamal. You know, he has a great fourth quarter. Jamal turns it up. It felt inevitable that he was going to get something going, but I thought Jimmy did a great job on Jamal throughout the game, and it's just a better matchup for Miami overall. I mean, Miami is plus 18 in Kevin Love minutes, you have an additional great rebounder out there. You have a smart guy who's going to push the tempo and transition. Even if he's not shooting the ball well or being super impactful offensively, you've got a bigger body, you've got a better defender, you've got a rebounder, and uh, it allows you to put your best perimeter defender on Denver's best perimeter initiator, which I thought was crucial to this one. And you know what's sad, man, is I don't... I, <laughs> I didn't really come away from this game feeling like Denver, you know, threw their best punch. I didn't come away from this game feeling like uh, they had an exceptional game. You know, this is a pretty poor Denver game overall, save a, you know, torrid second quarter outburst where they completely changed the tide uh, for a brief period of time. So I didn't, you know, again, I I don't come away from this game feeling like Miami's the better team. I thought they played a great fourth quarter. I thought they shot better, but I still think there's a lot of room for improvement on both sides and – I really just didn't feel like Denver played their best game uh, here in this one, especially defensively, man. I thought mm-hmm. too many defensive lapses on Denver's sides. Were, I mean, I, it, it just stuck out, man. It was uh, not the best effort from Denver defensively, and I thought that was the biggest issue for Denver tonight. I also do not at all walk away from this game thinking that Miami is the better team, but I think this is an incredible win for them. And a huge part of it is the resilience that you hinted at that has defined this Heat team throughout this playoff run. Consistently entering situations as underdogs, consistently at talent deficits, consistently down in big games, especially if you look at that Milwaukee series, and yet they find a way to be the sharper team to have this insane shooting ceiling and to make fewer mistakes than their opponent. But there were so many points in this one where I was deeply concerned about Miami's chances. Like, they have that awesome shooting first quarter, and they're super physical and engaged defensively, and they force some turnovers, and they're putting a ton of pressure on Denver, and then they end up three. And I thought, oh boy, they're in trouble here. And then next thing you know, there's a 21-7 barrage to start the second quarter for Denver with Jokic off the floor. Denver is just consistently forcing turnovers, extremely active hands. Christian Brown was awesome, getting great transition looks where they were extremely efficient in this one. And all of a sudden, Miami's down 15, and I thought they were done. I legitimately thought Denver is too good. Jokic is unstoppable. This offensive supporting cast is great, and they just haven't been susceptible to these mental lapses that we've seen Miami force all these other teams into, which was not the case tonight. 
But then you have Miami hanging in this game with just this unbelievable shooting performance. You mentioned it, 17 triples, almost 50% from deep. And I think we got to start talking about this as one of the all-time shooting runs from beyond the arc from a team that we've ever seen in a postseason Miami because they shot 45% from deep in their wins against Milwaukee. They shot 48% from deep in their wins against Boston. And here they are doing it again in game two of the NBA Finals. So many lethal shooters on the floor at all times. But my goodness... It just is ridiculous at times. But Jokic has this 18-point third quarter and is punishing them again in transition and is just cooking Cody Zeller over and over again in single coverage. And it felt like, oh, Bam goes out. Denver sees the opportunity. Miami's back down eight. Maybe the door is shut again. But no. You have the Duncan Robinson surge. You have this collective shooting ceiling that they reached. And... Then you have the mental mistakes by Denver that I don't think you can ignore in this one because they absolutely compounded and kept the Nuggets from winning this game, which they really still could have, even though Miami was so unbelievable shooting and nobody outside of Nikola Jokic played that well, which I think is a testament to the strength of this Denver team. But you have the three dumb fouls on successive possessions in the fourth quarter. Aaron Gordon closes out too hard on Jimmy, then fouls him from behind for an easy and one. Inexcusable. Jimmy has a clear look from about seven, eight feet. You know he's going to be looking to draw that contact. You do absolutely nothing to impact his shot, and you give him a free point to go with it. Next possession, KCP with his second dumb foul on a three-point shooter in this game. This one on Kyle Lowry. Three free points. And then the next possession... Maybe the most inexcusable of them all in terms of pure stupidity. MPJ comes in like he's on fire, thinking he's going to block a wide open bam dunk out of pick and roll. And of course he doesn't. He just hacks him. And so all of a sudden, it's an 11-point Miami lead. And still, Denver has such brilliant offensive personnel that they're able to get Jokic some great touch looks in the paint. Jamal Murray makes a couple big threes, and they're able to cut this lead down. But you can't afford those kind of mistakes. Literally, just the two and ones, forget about fouling the three-point shooter, that completely changes how you approach the final possession. Instead of being down three, now you're down one. You can obviously look for any shot that you want. You don't have to settle for a tough three if you're Jamal Murray with Jimmy Butler on you. And then I also think you have to look at a couple of brutal officiating moments in this fourth quarter. I don't want to make it about that. I think it's a secondary thing, but... There was definitely some foul baiting in the early fourth quarter that was rewarded for Miami. They were in the bonus within three minutes. I thought the offensive foul call on Jokic against Gabe Vincent was abysmal. There's no lowering of the shoulder. There's no extension of the arm. That's just a little guy falling down and the refs give him the benefit of the doubt, but far more egregious. And again, hugely impactful on the outcome of this game is the missed goaltending call on that Jamal Murray scoop layup, which I thought was as obvious as they get. And the refs miss that. So again, that changes how you approach the final possession. So all these things come together. And then I just overall disliked the offensive approach early for Denver versus the zone. And I was not a believer coming into this series that the zone would be effective. But what I will say is in short stints, it absolutely can be because you're forcing the offense to adjust. And once they were able to start getting the ball into Jokic in that free throw line area, you see it, those touch shots, he just doesn't miss. But early on, I thought you were getting a couple possessions where he doesn't touch the ball at all because sure, there's a Miami guard fronting him and maybe there's somebody ready to quickly double 
from the backside. But you just have to get him the ball and trust his decision-making, trust his touch shot-making, because whenever they did, good things happen. But instead, you get the Murray 3, where he's falling behind the baseline. You get a Bruce Brown dribble drive that ends in a pretty tough shot for him in the lane. So I thought that a bunch of stuff came together in the fourth quarter to cost them. But you can't take away that this is just an insane Miami shooting game, and it's tough to beat them when they're going to do that. And I agree with all the adjustments you laid out that worked for Miami, but particularly what I thought was so effective for them in this game was the pick and roll game with Bam Adebayo. Early on, we saw them having success out of ball screens in some other ways. Like that first quarter, you have the two ghost screens with Max Struess, where you just have a complete miscommunication from Denver, create wide open looks for him in the corner, and he cashes them. You have Gabe Vincent getting some very clean mid-range and floater looks when Jokic is playing that deeper drop. But I thought when they really just started rolling out a pick and roll, was in the second half when they started consistently going to Bam out of those actions, who has been clearly Miami's best player in this series. On both ends of the floor, the dude has just been phenomenal. And I think it's an awesome redemption for him after how much he struggled offensively in the home stretch of that Boston series. He had 13 points out of pick and roll specifically in the second half this low in this game, Logan, so impressive. And his ISOs and post-ups early weren't super effective. He wasn't punishing switches and his mid-range game one-on-one out of the post against Jokic just wasn't falling as much. But when he gets those four-on-threes, it's just devastating. I thought he was more aggressive getting downhill all the way to the rim in this game. And you look at all the other things that it opens up, you can have those handoffs that flow into pick and roll. Or... You also just have Bam facilitating where he was super effective in this game. Like there's the possession where Duncan Robinson has started to get hot in that fourth quarter. So you have two defenders follow him out of a handoff and instead it creates an open three for Gabe Vincent and Bam is able to make that read. So I just thought his playmaking was really good in this one. You did have some really good touch finishing and mid-range shot making. And when they were playing that high drop with Jokic and you have those four on threes, Bam was great, and it was a huge problem, and it was what got them those free throws on the final possession. Jokic comes out a bit too high, he overplays the pass, and Bam is able to get a look against Jamal Murray, which he's going to win that matchup coming downhill with a head of steam the vast majority of the time. So, I thought those were big things that swung in Miami's favor. Yes, I agree with you, Denver did not have the necessary intensity closing out on shooters in too many spots in this game because it really can come down to that, right? Miami shoots the hell out of the ball and they got too many open looks from deep. But I did think Bam was sensational, specifically out of pick and roll. Yeah, no disrespect to Bam. I I thought this was... There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair? 
or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't know what you're thinking. This is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Poor defensive effort overall from Denver, uh, basically on everybody. I mean, you talk about it early. Uh, just not fighting through screens, not closing out on shooters. The abysmal one early when it's just, you know, KCP and Gordon have that miscommunication, like you said, where Struess gets left open and stuff like that happened all game. But I think you're right, man. I think the guy that you attack in this Denver defense over and over again, right, that's been the biggest critique of Jokic throughout, right, and maybe why people don't consider him to be a top-notch superstar, right? Uh, is how you can attack him defensively. But I think Miami really can and really should. Uh, I don't think they did a great job of getting downhill again in this one and taking shots. Jimmy takes 19 shots in this game, man. Uh, You know, I thought was really passive to a fault. Uh, uh, You know, at some points he turned it up later in the game, but kicked out of a lot getting downhill. That does open backside actions up, right? I I don't want to uh, completely say that Jimmy should just start taking every mid-range look he gets. It did open up threes on the backside where just penetration will naturally open up shots on the outside. I think Jimmy still needs to be a little more aggressive getting downhill. I think just going at Jokic trying to finish over and maybe getting him in foul trouble. But like you said, dude, with the DHOs, with the screens, I thought they did a really good job of attacking Jokic in this one. If it was that backdoor opening up for Bam, if he was dropping and he gave the mid-range looks, I thought the biggest thing too, man— when they switched, when Jokic was able to be drug out to the perimeter, I mean, they hit a couple threes in his face. Uh, you know, he gets his hand up, but they still hit him because his tendency is to drop. So I think that's what Miami has to do the rest of this series is kind of go at Jokic and start it, initiate it uh, out of the pick and roll. Uh, although, I, again, Miami won all these areas. Miami won the defensive effort battle. They won the intensity battle. They won all the hustle plays. And big credit to Bam, dude, because I thought even on that last or one of the last possessions in this game, when that ball is going out towards the baseline, the only guy going after that is Bam Adebayo mm-hmm. because that's that's Miami. That's how they win games, man. It's hustle. And I thought Denver concretely got out hustled in this one. I want to ask you a question, man. Do we need to? I don't want two finals games, two lax games from Jimmy Butler change our whole idea of him right and it doesn't for me I still think Jimmy is a top 10 guy and a guy that I want more than a lot of other superstars 
in basketball. Through two games, though, Carson, Jimmy is at 17, 6.5, and 8 on 39% from the field. And like I said, man, I just thought it points to this game. It's like he's got to look, and it's like he's not confident. He's passive. He doesn't want to take these shots. At a point in the third quarter, I wrote down in my notes, we have to put out an APB for Jimmy Butler. Like, we need a missing persons report. I do not see Jimmy at all on the floor on offense, and we need him. I mean, I think concretely for the rest of this series, if Miami is going to win this, Jimmy Butler has to be better. He has to reach that superstar level because Miami's not going to have this torrid shooting streak. Denver and its role players it are not going to play this poorly, like unequivocally, however you argue and carve up this game. Denver's role players did not pull their weight. Like, what do you think Jimmy can do to be more effective? And, I mean, what do we need to see out of Jimmy, man? I've been really disappointed in Jimmy Butler through two of these games, and I thought this game came way more down to Bam being uh, playing his ass off, and I think it came way more down to just shooting and the role players really playing their jobs to perfection. No shot to Jimmy, but, I mean, he's got to be better, man. He does. This has not been good Jimmy through the first two games, and he has a couple of spectacular shot-making moments late that it seems that he's just prone to have. But I think there's a few things. I think he needs to find more mismatches consistently in this series like we gotta see more guard on guard screens and if they're hiding Jamal Murray on Caleb Martin well then you bring Caleb Martin in there and again you force Denver to correctly guard that it can be a ghost screen but you're probably going to get a good shot out of that if they're gonna show too hard, not recover to the shooter, or if you can force a switch and now you've got a smaller guy who you can go to work on. But I think what we've really seen is Denver putting Jimmy in a spot where he is kind of just getting those looks as a pull-up jump shooter. And he doesn't really want to go right at Nikola Jokic around the rim, it seems, which does make some sense. Jokic is obviously a super big guy, good hands and all that. Not a great vertical athlete, rim protector in that sense, but Jimmy is also not the kind of like overly explosive vertical athlete who can punish him super easily for that. So he's not having that same kind of impact around the rim and the paint and getting to the free throw line in this one. So I will say, I thought that he had a very good playmaking game, but he hasn't been able to just kind of get wherever he wants on the floor in this series like he has been in some other matchups in these playoffs. And I agree with you. Miami does need that to change because I don't think they win this series without really, really great Jimmy because this is an outlier shooting performance. I understand they've done it more times than anybody else in the league could. And they are legitimately a great shooting team. But 17 triples on basically 50% efficiency is an outlier shooting performance. And there are things with Denver that are going to come back and even out. Like you mentioned Miami dealing with Jokic more in single coverage. And he gets his 41 pretty darn efficiently, but only has the four assists. I thought they had a couple of really smart doubles on him where they put pressure and they were able to force turnovers in a way that teams often aren't. I also do think, though, the four assists, yeah, is a legitimate accomplishment, but there's a couple shots that you look at and it's like, all right, well, Jamal's got a wide-open lookout of a handoff or a kickout. MPJ is one of six again from deep in this one. Like, 
some of that is the shot making alongside him. I think MPJ obviously is going to play better, needs to play better, but so much of his offensive impact is going to swing with how is he shooting the ball. And we complimented him in game one for his multifaceted impact, his rebounding, his help rim protection. And he had an off-shooting game in that one, but it was okay. This game, he doesn't excel as much in those areas at all. And so he just is kind of a negative in this one. KCP, I thought, was awful. Has been one of the most consistently great catch-and-shoot spot-up weapons in the league. I don't know if I should say awful. I thought his transition defense was pretty good. I thought there were spots where he did well on Jimmy. But... The mental mistakes from him. I mean, he fouls out of this game and again, has a couple that are so costly and has really a minimal offensive impact. That is devastating to this Denver team. So I do think that they're better. I do think that they have more avenues to reliable offense. And again, I still haven't seen the thing that makes me think, oh boy, Miami's got Denver figured out. Like... They brought intensity and physicality consistently in this one, and so they were able to force some more turnovers. But Nikola Jokic got what he wanted in this game, Logan. Against single coverage, he destroyed them. Against the zone, he destroyed them. So if you're asking me who do I think has laid out the more reliable formula, I still unequivocally think it is Denver. Dude, 100%. And I think that's the next spot that we go. Uh, Dude, Jokic... Uh, with barely minimal, I mean, minimal role players stepping up. Uh, I, I want to touch on on that as the whole for uh, for a minute. One, at the end of the game, you talk about Miami bringing way more intensity and effort and getting out to that big lead, too. And Denver was still able to cut this thing back down to three, man. And that is the, that's something, one of the biggest keys that we've talked about for Denver in this series. And that's just unstoppable offense. Guys, in the blink of an eye, I mean... Miami threw an uppercut at Denver. That is a Mike Tyson knockout blow, what they did in that run. All the bad turnovers, all the big shots, all the costly mental mistakes that should mentally take a team out of the game. Like, that's demoralizing. That is where you, good teams don't put their head down, and Denver didn't. Like, most teams would, if it was the Boston Celtics, they would have just left it a locker room. Mm-hmm. They would have dipped, because that's what a team like Boston does. Denver didn't. They came back, and they matched that, and they got it to within three, and that is a big key, too, is I just don't, again, guys, that's one of the biggest keys, is I don't think this Denver offense ever stops, and you see it until the buzzer tonight. The second thing, you talk about the role players, Carson. I mean, nobody played well tonight. You hit on KCP. I think the guy I was most disappointed in was Bruce Brown, man. He had, like, one drive to the rack where he jammed, and I was like, fire me up, Bruce, but... He has three really bad turnovers in this game and two crucial ones that are just, he's just driving into a lane, gets the ball poked, bad turnover. Um, KCP did have good hands on that one Jimmy drive, but that was about it. But the biggest thing, man, again, none of the role players do their jobs well. Jamal Murray has an off night by Jamal Murray standards, right? Like, whatever you think about Jamal Murray, he is at superstar status, in my opinion. One of the best point guards in the league, and it's not because of what he does during the regular season. Jamal's a guy that's probably going to put up 21 to 22 in five or six a night, right? It's never going to be, oh my God, man, look at what Jamal Murray's done. He still has never been an all-star, if you can believe it, as talented as he is, but every time in the playoffs, he has stepped his game up to a different level, and I mean, already at this age. uh, Carson, I wrote something down here. Just 24 players in NBA history have averaged 
26, 6, and 5. Just 35 players in NBA history have had two of these runs, which Jamal has done before the age of 26. And just eight players in NBA history have had a run like Jamal more efficiently than him at 59.2 true shooting percentage. Uh, that's 26, 6, and 5 in individual runs. So he doesn't have a great game. But none of these role players play well. Jamal does not have a superstar game. And yet, Jokic eats again. And that is something that you have pointed out throughout these playoff runs, Carson. One of your favorite and best takes is Jokic might be the best scorer alive, man. You can't stop him. Mm -hmm. In the mid-range, easy buckets. Even when they're closing out on him, he's got that funky ass behind-the-head release that is just untouchable, and it's bottoms. And him driving to the rack tonight, man, they were physical with him. And I thought it was funny, man. It's like Jeff Van Gundy and them just like, they take it for granted, in my opinion. They're just like, oh, Jokic just flips it up there, man, and it goes in. No, that is what you call immaculate touch, guys. And throughout this game, Jokic, just whatever he put up, whatever he wanted, he got. It is at will, man. And we just can't take it for granted, dude. It just felt like the most effortless 41 piece that I have seen in my life. And again, when nothing else is going right. You know, so many guys feed off of their teammates. So many guys feed off the flow of the offense and the flow of the game. When all hell breaks loose, when this team is not playing great defense, when the role players are not knocking down shots, when the offense is not flowing to the Denver Nugget level, save that good stretch in the second quarter, which Jokic was off the floor for most of, Jokic got what he wanted at will, man. And I was super impressed with that, dude. Just when chaos is going around, Jokic is the constant, the standard. Mm -hmm. And he's just unaffectable, man. I was super impressed with Jokic's scoring tonight, his immaculate touch through whatever Miami threw at him. And again, that's what you get when you give single coverage to Nikola Jokic, man. I think he's in the midst of one of the great individual playoff runs that we've ever seen. And I tweeted this today. It's in the tier one to me. And the tier one of all-time playoff runs is uh, Shaq 2000 and 2001 where particularly people remember his incredible final stretch over those three years, but he was just so consistently unstoppable as an interior force, defending at a very high level in the playoffs and able to play make reasonably well out of doubles, which he was just constantly attracting, like the ultimate uh, gravity force in terms of how much attention he demanded in the paint. Then you have 91 through 93 Jordan, where... 92 and 93, he's basically scoring a super efficient 35 a game. And 91, he's over 30 a night efficiently. But it was also, like, his best playmaking run ever, particularly in the finals against the Lakers, where he just completely dissected them over 11 assists a game. You have 2012 and 2016 Braun, which is basically just peak Braun all-around impact total dominance. You have 2003 Duncan, which I think has to be up there for the greatest defensive rebounding postseason Ever And he was able to impose himself as a high level as a scorer. And it's probably his best playmaking run. And then you have 94-95 Akeem, which is just unthinkable, pure scoring and defense. Jokic is in a different category because he's not reaching those same levels in terms of defensive impact. But I think it's actually the best offensive run that we have ever seen. Like the list of guys who have scored 30 a game on 62% true shooting in finals runs is very short. I think it's Kawhi, MJ, KD, and LeBron. And Jokic is doing that while also being the best playmaker alive. It goes without saying that we've never seen somebody put up 
30.4 points, 12.9 rebounds, and 10.1 assists per game on 63% true shooting, Logan. And the variety of ways in which he's controlling all these games and dominating against any look and elevating the Nuggets to be such a special all-time offense, it has to put him in that tier. So I understand if this isn't the game that people want to hear it because they lost. But people didn't want to hear it after he had 53 against the Suns too because that was deemed a quote-unquote successful strategy because his teammates quote-unquote didn't eat as much. And I will say that is not to compare the discourse after that game to the discourse after this game because the Nuggets scored 124 points in that game and Jokic had nine assists and the Suns only won because of this unbelievable pull-up jump shooting and playmaking level from Devin Booker, right? All those things come together. The Heat actually won this game in a more reasonable way that was more directly related to their defensive effort. But nevertheless, Jokic is doing special things as a scorer and obviously is constantly doing special things as a playmaker. So I do think we're going to have to have some real all-time conversations about him when this postseason is said and done. But I put what he's doing right now above Steph last year or Giannis two years ago. I think it's unbelievable and offensively really unprecedented. But the other guys don't step up as much in this one. And there's a conversation to be had about if Jamal Murray is a top 20 player maybe, but this isn't the day that he's earned having that conversation here on NerdSesh because he didn't play at that level couple more things I want to touch on and briefly mentioned it, but Duncan Robinson sparking that run in the fourth quarter. I mean, that guy has just been so unbelievably impressive throughout this entire run with his ability to run, pick and roll, to facilitate, to finish around the rim relatively well. And he does so as a cutter as well. And then just his unconscious shooting, that guy has come in and impacted so many games. And that is the story again here for the heat, Logan. It's doing the little things. I thought they were really good on the glass in this one. Starting Kevin Love obviously gives you a bit of juice in that category. He comes up with 10 boards in this one, three on the offensive glass. I thought that they were making Jokic work in a way that very few teams have. I think Bam gets a ton of credit for constantly having a body on him, constantly giving effort for positioning, and they were tipping balls out. And then you just have the collective effort of guys stepping up offensively, right? It's so special that Gabe Vincent can give you 23 and have these unbelievable pull-up jump shooting performances. And that Max Struess can explode in a quarter like he did and then actually facilitate for his teammates some. And that Duncan Robinson can come in like he did. No other team in the NBA has this. And that's why the Miami Heat are here. That's why they were able to win this game without exceptional Jimmy Butler. So... All the props in the world to Miami. I do think the Cody Zeller minutes are a big problem, (laughs) Logan. He sucks. He is going to get embarrassed. Props to him for a couple of tough finishes in this game. But my God, he is just food. He's food for Nikola Jokic. And I don't know that they can continue playing him. They might have to go K-Love at the five, which definitely presents issues defensively still. He can't cover Jokic one-on-one either. But offensively, at least you're bringing a five-out approach. And uh, I think Kevin Love can probably even hang better one-on-one than Cody freaking Zeller. And shout-out Christian Brown for all of his impact plays in this game. But feeling remains the same. Like, look at all the things that it took for the Heat to win a game. Whereas, look at how 
the Nuggets dominated game one without a particularly good shooting night. So I think Miami made good adjustments. I still don't think it's enough. And I don't think that any of this is unsolvable. And I do think that Denver will continue to improve against that zone once they realize that no matter what, you just have to get the ball to Nikola Jokic in the middle of the floor and very good things will happen. Yeah, uh, Cody Zeller is a scarecrow, a traffic cone. And again, I, I, I want to talk about the uh, the remarkability. I mean, you talk about the role players, man. Duncan Robinson has been phenomenal and showcased. I know they made a big deal about it earlier in this playoff run, Carson, how he came off the bench, wasn't playing a whole lot, and immediately subbed in. But it is really remarkable that a guy who was pigeonholed is really just a shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shown a lot of chops out of the pick and roll. He's shown playmaking. Uh, finishing at the rack, kind of just do it all. Like, I really thought Duncan was uh, – a lot of these shooters like Joe Harris or, you know, the J.J. Reddick kind of mold where you're just a shooter. Duncan's proved he can be a lot more than that. And, again, that is a part of why this is so remarkable that Jimmy is not having these superhuman performances, that Bam is not – Bam's played great, but not like superhuman performances. And the role players are just getting done. But, again, it is status quo at this point. Um the final thing I, I do want to hit on, you bring up all those great names, Carson, and I don't think people, I don't know why, if it's in the moment, if we don't want to appreciate legacies and how historic things that people are doing in the moment, I don't know why we tend to push back against things like that, but I think it is time that we recognize uh, how historic of a performance this is from Nikola Jokic, and you mentioned all those great names, uh, Olajuwon, Shaq, Jordan, LeBron. I want to focus on the two big ones, right, LeBron and Jordan. What does it take to be the best player in the world and to take that moniker and to be the best player during a title run? Well, it takes multifaceted offensive impact, right? Uh, all three of those guys in common, Carson, I saw this stat today and it kind of blew my mind. The most consecutive playoff games with 20 points and five assists. Number one all time is Michael Jordan with 21 straight of those games from the tail end of 90 to the start of the 92 playoffs, 21 straight games. Number two on that list is LeBron James with 14. Tied with him at second is Nikola Jokic. And guess what? It's kind of funny. It's all those years that you pointed out. LeBron uh, during that run. I believe it was 2018 when he did this. And then Jokic this season is doing that. I mean, yes, he really is having the multifaceted impact that those guys had. He gets it done in a different way. He's not just initiating from the perimeter. He can do it at all three levels. But he is a genius playmaker that is doing this. And if you want to give the edge to those guys because they're also great two-way players in the way that Jokic isn't, right? Jordan won a freaking defensive player of the year. LeBron probably should have gotten one during his tenure, right? They're all defense caliber guys. So if you want to give the nod and complete total impact to those guys, I still get it. But if we are just looking at individual offensive impact, Jokic is maybe having a bigger impact than any of those guys and is definitely up there with Jordan and LeBron. I don't outright say that, but again, I mean, just the numbers don't lie. The eye test doesn't lie if you watch Jokic and what he can do in these individual matchups. It really is one of, it's up there with all those guys, Carson, and it is a hot freaking take. You're probably going to get some backlash, maybe some death threats, maybe some cryptic letters in the mail because people don't like hearing that Jokic is up there with them, but it it is true, and I, I just, the numbers back it up, man. It is crazy. And he is having as multifaceted an impact as those guys, a one of the greatest scoring and playmaking runs ever. But you know who's a 93rd percentile pick-and-roll ball handler these playoffs? Logan, Duncan freaking Robinson. Bruh. So chew on that's that. Not a real, that's not a real number, bro. Swear to God. 93rd percentile. 90th percentile is a scorer, 93rd when you include plays in which he passes. 
So shout out to that man for doing it again. And I'll give one last shout out to Bam because I feel like we both had Jimmy and Bam in our top five duos. I had them at five. You had them at four. And a lot of people were upset with that. We didn't have Jalen and Jason. This was during the Eastern Conference Finals still. But I think it comes down to games like this. Like, this is why you value Bam. He doesn't have to dominate as a scorer to have a huge impact defensively to constantly be engaged. And he did step up as a finisher when it mattered in this game. And he did have that legitimate playmaking impact. And it helps when you don't have a skill set redundancy with your two best players, which the Miami Heat certainly do not. So incredible game. I still think Denver wins this in five or six. I just think when things are even in terms of shooting, when you have the best player on the floor and an offense that still is largely unstoppable, I just think things even out, the better team's going to win. And, uh, that's what I expect to happen. But if anybody defies logic, it's the Miami Heat. Although I do think the Nuggets are clearly better than any team that they have faced so far. So that's going to do it for us here today. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We will be back after game three, of course, back in Miami, which should be a ton of fun. If you enjoyed the show, then you can find us on the volume YouTube page. You can also listen to the show across audio platforms. And you can follow us on social media, TikTok at NerdSesh where we are most consistent posting our trivia content, Instagram, same handle, and Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. You can also join our Discord at the link tree across our social media bios to just talk basketball, football with us whenever you want. We're pretty consistently in there chatting with you guys. So with that, appreciate you as always. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.